And we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. My name is Kent C. Dodds, and I am your host for this live broadcast podcast all about JavaScript. Um, and we're going to be talking about Chakra, Microsoft's open source JavaScript engine. We're really excited about uh, the cool things that Microsoft has been doing of late in the open source world and excited to talk with some subject matter experts about um, Chakra Core. So before we get into the show too far, I'd like to give a special shout out to our sponsors. Egghead.io is the show's premier sponsor, and they have a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and a ton of other stuff, TypeScript included. Um, our guests will appreciate that. Uh, Frontend Masters is also um, a sponsor, and they're a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, and functional JS, as well as a lot of other great courses on front-end topics. TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before your customers even notice them. And with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context you need to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. Then Wallabyjs actually has an exciting announcement. Uh, they just released the beta version of their Sublime, Sublime Text plugin. What is Wallaby, you ask? Well, it is an intelligent and super fast test runner for JavaScript that continuously runs your tests. It reports code coverage and other results directly to your code editor immediately as you change your code. Very, very cool. Check them out at wallabyjs.com. And CodeCove. CodeCove is coverage done right. Reduce technical debt by visualizing test performance and faster code review. CodeCove is highly integrated with GitHub and provides browser extensions. Learn more at codecove.io. And that is our sponsors. We're grateful for them. They're allowing us to do some pretty cool things with this podcast uh, for our listeners. And so, yeah, um, some other announcements. Remember that this is a live show, and so if you are watching live and have any questions for our guests or the panelists or um, questions in general about the topic, then you can tweet with the hashtag JSAirQuestion and get your questions answered at the end of the show. Um, and then our podcast is a weekly uh, one, and so next week our show is going to be JavaScript Debugging with Alex Liu. Todd Gardner and Yong Zhao. I'm not sure if I pronounced any of those names right, but that's um, they can correct me next week. <laughs> and as always, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus to keep up with the latest and greatest uh, from JavaScript Air. Okay, so let's go ahead and introduce everybody who's here. Um, so for our panelists, we have Brian Lensdorf. He's Sorry muted. Hi. <laughs> and uh, we have Kyle Simpson. Hello, everyone. And Lynn Clark. Hey there. And uh, for our guests, oh, I didn't even practice these names. I hope I get your name right. It's uh, Garov Seth. Hi there. Is that right? That's almost right. Almost <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and uh, Steve Luco. Hi. And Ed Marr. Yeah, Ed Marr. Marr, okay. Yeah, I should have practiced ahead of time. I have a history of getting names incorrect, so <laughs> it's uh, nothing personal. <laughs> okay, cool. So um, let's get an introduction to our guests before we get into the core, no pun intended. Uh, actually, there was a pun intended, totally intended, uh, of our uh, subject today. So um, yeah, uh, Gaurav, if you could uh, introduce yourself, uh, give us a brief background on your history. Yeah, so I've been with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a lead program manager on the Chakra and the TypeScript team here at Microsoft. I've been with Microsoft for about, you know, 
about 14 years now, mostly you know working with compilers, developer tools, and I've been in the web space for like almost the last 10 years now. Love the web, love JavaScript, love everything that we do. Awesome, uh, Steve. Why don't you go next? Okay, I I um, uh, wrote some of the original code of, of, of Chakra. I'm I'm the architect of of uh, the engine, and uh, I've been functioning as as uh, uh, sort of trying to help Microsoft uh, get really passionate and committed to the web development space and to open source around that. Uh, so I've been working on that for a number of years. Cool. Thanks for your efforts. <laughs> That's awesome. And Ed, what can you tell us about yourself? Um, I've been working in developer tools here at Microsoft for 11 years. Um, Compilers, runtimes. Uh, spent a lot of time working on the C sharp compiler. Um, a whole lot of time, probably eight, nine years, something like that. Um, and then before that, I worked with Microsoft in the video game business. So I have a whole other separate career that's very different from my uh, developer tools one. Cool. I think uh, we're actually going to change the subject of this podcast and talk about your video game history. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. That would be an interesting, uh, interesting topic, though. <laughs> so um, I think a really great intro question to get our conversation started is: um, let's let's say that I'm totally new to the whole um, idea of Chakra. I've never heard of it before. Can you give us a uh, basic idea of what is Chakra Core? I mean, oh, well, it's a it's it's an implementation of JavaScript. I guess is the easiest way to say it. Um, it's the focus of it is to be uh, extremely good at compliance with the standard um, and to be extremely fast. Um, and then beyond those goals are the goals of scalability on the server side um, and easy interop with native code. Yeah. So if you're if you're just a, I guess if you're just hearing about Chopper Core for the first time and wondering what it is and why it's relevant to you, um, as a I guess as a maybe as an app owner, it, it would be interesting to think about adding scriptability to your app. Right, that's one thing that people have have thought about when they think about Chopper Core and its utility. Uh, maybe they want to have um, you know a JavaScript-based uh, scripting extensibility point to their app, and one of the ways they could do that is host. Chakra Core themselves and expose their object model to uh, to JavaScript. Um, that's the way I, you know, coming from the game world, that's the way I almost always have thought about Chakra, um, at least in, you know, as it uh, pertains to just the, you know, the ordinary person on the street, right, uh, who owns an app, because um, we certainly used to think about doing that in, in video game land. Right, mostly with Lua, right? It was commonly done with Lua, yes. Um, but I think it would be great to have it as a JavaScript. Yeah, well, JavaScript is so fast these days and so well supported by libraries that it it would have substantial attractiveness relative to Lua that way. Yeah, right. I think the only other thing I would add, uh, you know, what Steve and Ed say, you know, just said is, you know, there's no real difference between Chakra and Chakra Core in certain ways. It's the same key parts of the JavaScript virtual machine or the JavaScript engine, which you know, Chakra has been the engine that's been powering Internet Explorer and has been powering Microsoft Edge ever since Edge got launched. 
And the, the only key difference is like it, it has Chakra Core has the exact same capabilities as Chakra except for two things. One, it does not have you know bindings to the underlying uh, you know operating or to the underlying Windows operating system and the Edge browser, which are very scenario specific. And the other thing that Chakra Core does not have is Chakra Core actually is going to be supporting a you know modern set of diagnostic APIs, which we hope to make both interoperable, uh, you know, which could be made interoperable across other virtual machines or other JavaScript engines and other tools over a period of time, if that makes sense. I had a, uh, <clears throat> a question on the technical side. Uh, so my first experience with the JavaScript engine was pre-Node uh, 2009, 2010, and I'd heard of this thing called V8, and it was this engine that you could, like, write some C++ around. <laughs> So um, at the time, there was, like, really almost no documentation for, and I don't even know if there is today, but there was definitely no documentation about how to do that other than kind of some example stuff that it shipped with. Um, but I wanted to build a server-side JavaScript thing before there was a node, and, and I started doing that with V8. So if I wanted to do something like that today, how would I get started with trying to create an embedding environment or a host, you know, set of host bindings around Chakra Core? Would it be similar with C++ or is there a different approach to it? Well, we have a, a flat C um, hosting API that, uh, that we document. Um, it's been documented in Chakra. Um, it exists there in Chakra Core. Um, and so it's essentially, you know, you're in the business of going and writing a new exe that, um, you know, makes that binds to these things and figures out how to uses that API to expose whatever object model you have in mind um, to your JavaScript. Uh, and I think the thing I would add is yes, it's it's flat C, so you do have the flexibility. You know, you whether you want to use you know C plus plus on top of it, or you know, there's also like from managed side, like from C sharp side, we have. You know, another shim layer which kind of can call into those flat C APIs. The thing I would say in terms of documentation and getting started guide to you know embed Chakra Core in your projects is go uh, hit our GitHub repo at uh, you know for Chakra Core. Uh, you know we have a bunch of information there, including uh, you know a lot of documentation, embedding guide, you know link to samples where I think we are we have or we will shortly be publishing a, you know managed sample as to like how do you you know start embedding from a C-sharp app. There's a C++, uh, you know, sample as well. So it's a, uh, I was ahead. just going to say, so it sounds like there is an option of going down the route of what would be more traditionally seen as, like, Windows application development in the sort of .NET-ish world, but there's an option of going at, sh at Shocker Core just, like, straight up from the GNC, you know, the C compiler sort of thing? Is that, is that what you're saying? That's right. When you when you were experimenting with V8, were you using C++ or C? Yeah, well, they, they basically only had a C++ set of bindings, so yeah, it was just so are you, GCC are you interested compiler. In a bit of comparison between what it looks like to bind to, to Chakra versus V8? Um, we don't have to get into too much of the details, but I just wanted to get my head around, Am I, if I wanted to work with Chakra Core, am I sort of getting into, you have to understand Windows development, or is this more of a just straight-up C, C++ kind of a thing? It's more of a straight-up C, C++ thing, and, and one of the key differences uh, with V8, you, you need to learn about their memory management ideas. Um, like, they, they have sort of a smart pointer that you have to use in order to 
deal with the garbage collector, but the Choco garbage collector is conservative, so it'll actually walk your staff. So if you, as long as as long as you only store pointers to JavaScript objects on your stack, or in data structures that you allocated using the Choco garbage collector, you don't have to do any smart pointer discipline in order to work with it. So the code is a lot smaller because of that. It's, it's a lot more straightforward to, to work with. Uh, have you already covered if, uh, do you need, I was reading that you need a Windows machine in order to build Chakra Core. Is that true? So that, that is correct. So today, uh, you know, when we just open source, uh, you know, we were primarily working on, uh, you know, Chakra was mostly Windows only. But one of, so, and today you need a Windows machine to build it. But one of the things that we are very actively working on is taking Chakra cross-platform, and that's one of the, you know, topmost things on our priority list, and we're actively working. I think we're starting with a port to Linux, which the team is already working on. Starting with, I think, uh, Ubuntu is what we will be targeting. So, you know, as we start expanding, you know, this thing will not be a Windows-only thing, and we definitely envision taking Chakra Core to a lot more platforms in the time to come. So the, the Linux is built with, with Clang, so it'd be entirely independent of um, the Windows uh, toolchain. Did you have a, a question, Kyle? Yeah, I was just going to uh, ask. Um, so there was a story a while back about um, the move from uh, Internet Explorer to Microsoft Edge browser. And I know one of the big moves there was to remove a bunch of Microsoft-specific stuff that had been added into the environment. So as it stands today, is Shocker Core completely and entirely just ECMAScript, or are there additional things in there that are part of the Microsoft world that are still being pulled out? Where, where does that stand? No, it is, it is completely and fully just pure ECMAScript at this point in time. So one of the things we did during the Windows 10 timeframe was we did this bifurcation of, uh, you know, kind of chakra or like the entire web platform you can think about. And as a part of that, what we did was, you know, there was this new Chakra thing that was born for supporting the evergreen browsers, and we removed all of the old, uh, you know, Microsoft, so to speak, things from Chakra. And just as an example, it is ActiveX objects, right? Chakra Core or Chakra do not support this active notion of ActiveX object now. So all of that is only supported for, you know, IE 11 and the older versions, but in the Edge version of Chakra that we started shipping, we removed that. And Chakra Core actually builds out of that whole new core, uh, you know, that we talk about. So it does not have anything that is uh, non-standards, except, of course, I mean, there might be bugs, which, you know, one cannot say that, hey, there will be no bug. But if there is, we would love to, uh, you know, hear that from any of the users, and we would work to make sure that, uh, you know, those things go away. So since you brought it up, I'm, I'm curious about um, Internet Explorer, uh, and I sort of have two basic questions about it. Um, first, what what was the driving factor in deciding to you know rewrite the engine from scratch? Um, and second, what is the, the future of Internet Explorer? Well, so first of all, um, we can't really speak for the, the Internet Explorer team. So in terms of policy questions, we'll, we'll let, let you have a show with them. <laughs> Um, but uh, I, I would say uh, Microsoft as a whole is 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 moving toward uh, 
supporting the web platform in its standards form and trying to be as compliant as possible. Um, and so in, in order to really do that, you can't just do it from a policy level. You have to do it from a code level. You actually have to separate yourself from the old code and make sure that you have a model that actually is compliant with everything in, in the set of web standards. And so I think that the, the effort of building Edge is largely to get enough of a new code base so that you can know that you are implementing the standards correctly. But yeah, you can also talk to the first question, which is about why did we start with chakra? <laughs> That's a great one for you. You mean you mean why did, like what why was that the first effort even long before Edge? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's well it's because um, we wanted to prove that you could you could you could do this and at that time MSHTML, the 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 uh, the code base that you're talking about for Internet Explorer. Uh, it's it's a much bigger code base than than just the JavaScript engine was. The JavaScript engine's about a tenth the size of the browser code base. So um, we we were trying to prove that you could be standards compliant. And in fact, Chakra wins a lot of these comparisons now in terms of how compliant are we with ES6 or in Test 262 and other benchmark sites saying how compliant you are, because we were trying to show Yes, if you put enough effort in, you can build a new code base that is compliant with the standard. And that, so we were, and it took a while for um, the Internet Explorer team to, to with that much larger code base, make that same leap. Uh, I had another question. Sorry, I'm uh, dominating all these questions, but I'm super curious. So, last week's episode, I actually was the one that brought up the announcement that you all had made the official pull request uh, for inclusion into Node. And I'm super excited about that. But I would love for you to speak a little bit about where you see the differentiating factors between Chakra and V8 and maybe even SpiderMonkey, if you could speak to it. But what makes Chakra different and what makes it compelling as an option for building something like Node, for example? Well, one thing that I think about on that topic for Chakra Core is that it's um, it's got an interpreter. Um, and so for some scenarios, being able to build perhaps Node minus you know, the, the, the JIT code base and operating the JavaScript just with the interpreter um, might make it easier to take uh, such a code base and target a new instruction set. right? Um, because building up a JIT, for example, against um, some instruction set that you've never seen before is, is, a, is a costly endeavor. Can I, can, I stop you, can I stop you right there and ask you to actually explain that to the audience a little bit more? I think I know where you're going, but can you explain what you mean by JIT and why that would matter to the instructions? That sure. Um, so the execution pipeline for JavaScript is essentially one where we, uh, the engine takes in a script file and parses it, and this is your compiler kind of one-on-one stuff, parses it, um, essentially makes meaning of all of the identifiers that exist in the program text. And then in Chakra, we take that, those definitions and turn the, the representation into a bytecode that can be interpreted, right? And so it's you know, a, a switch statement about each, each bytecode operation goes and executes something. And so your source will sit there and, and execute. And in the meantime, we're doing things 
like uh, gathering profile information, understanding the flow of types through the various code paths, and understanding which functions are called more frequently than others. And based on this data, we make we have heuristics that make decisions about when we should turn around and take the next stage of making your code faster by compiling it actually to machine code and not interpreting it. So on a function-by-function function basis, and actually even lower than a function, we can go and decide this, this function's being called a whole lot, and uh, we know a good deal about it, and we can go and now turn it into machine code, and that's what the JIT, the responsibility of the JIT is, the just-in-time compilation. So to summarize here, if I understand just for the audience's sake, uh, to summarize what you're saying is that the one of the strengths you feel about Chakra Core is that you can have the option of running this additional jitting stuff which uh, targets specific knowledge about the platform and the instruction set, but you have the option of not doing that, which means that it's easier to get into other environments. Is that correct? Indeed. Yeah, the part about not doing it is the one that I was trying to make, yeah. Um, and one of the things is memory constraints. So small memory would favor the interpreter, say, over generating a bunch of machine code. So if you if you had a, a sensor device or something and you wanted to put JavaScript down in it, having a having a fast interpreter is is a useful tool. And I should say V8 is now developing an interpreter. Yes. The, the Munich team um, uh, that contributes a lot of code to V8 is 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 doing that. And and more generally, we should say we love V8 and we think V8 is a very good implementation. And we're really good friends with Lars, who, who was one of the people who started the V8 team. And um, so our, our goal is not to be like against V8, but but we do think that even even if they were exactly the same and you could do exactly the same things with them, which is not true, um, it would be good for the community to have two complete implementations out there, because once you can compare two, then you can think about what direction you want to take a JavaScript engine, and by seeing the similarities and the differences, you can learn a lot more about what possibilities there are for the implementation. So just having two, or in with the things from Mozilla, even more open source implementations out there is is a is a good thing. Right. I, th I think a, another thing is if you look at the way the TypeScript open source project has interacted with the community, um, the Chakra team is planning to interact with the community in a similar way, so taking a lot of pull requests, having a very active issues list where we really take the community seriously and take their input seriously in terms of the direction that the engine will go. I think there's some differentiation there um, in, in how we plan to be an open source project. Um, so, so one of the things we're, we're hoping to do is give the community a lot more input than, for example, they may have had in the direction of V8. And, and you can see the proof of that and how we've handled the TypeScript experience. Right. I think I, I would add two more points to this in terms of like, you know, uh, the edges that it brings. I think number one is, I think each engine is like great across a set of scenarios. Like, you know, it's an individual piece of code. It's great for some scenarios. It's great, it's great for some platform. And every each, each JavaScript engine that's out there today does something unique and, you know, is catering to a different set of needs, like even though everything works in a web browser. So what having a multiple engine brings is like it gives the de developers the option to see which platform I'm targeting and what advantages can that VM bring for that uh, you know platform. So they do have that and they can utilize it. I think 
associated with that, each VM also has like a bunch of tooling that is already available. Like when I say tooling, it's like, hey, what uh, visual, like what IDEs do you use? What editors do you use? So, you know, that is also kind of attached to each VM and that becomes like a developer choice. Like, hey, I can use th these tools or these tools and I can get my work done. So that's, I think, a very big advantage of, you know, having multiple pairs. The like second the thing, example. yes. That, that's true. Like, I mean, each, each uh, you know, JavaScript engine maker can keep uh, innovating and, you know, advancing the state of the art there and working with their partners' ecosystem to uh, advance Node. The these next thing I would really say is, like, even if you think about standardization of features today, right, for the web browser, like JavaScript features, PC39, we sit there, we mostly debate about features, we think about hey, what innovation we have to bring. But a lot of that thinking is only coming from the perspective of the web, right? Because that's where most of the JavaScript engines combine. Today, with only one player being there, you know, in Node, which is the VA team, like yes, they would be, they probably would be representing Node, but for all the other players, we are not as considerate because you know not everybody is watching that. So you know, getting more players involved also would definitely, I think, help in the overall evolution of the language of not only focusing on the client on the web, but even thinking through these some of these server scenarios. Cool. Um, so, oh yeah, can I ask a quick question? Um, you mentioned uh, about memory constrained environments, and um, you know, uh, I've I've read things about IoT uh, being a really interesting application for Shaka, and uh, I was curious about uh, if you feel that's a good you know target, and also um, wanted to ask about some of the security uh, features you put into the engine. Sure, I, I can take the IoT one. Uh, so I think one of the things. So the reason uh, you know we started working on uh, you know Node and uh, you know we brought Chakra Core to work with Node was essentially because we wanted to power the Windows IoT platform that was coming up. That was our starting point. That's where we were. Like there's a gap that exists now with Chakra, as we've talked about. You know Chakra has this capability that you can uh, you know really not have the JIT but just have the interpreter. Which is, you know, a much tiny piece, much easier to port. You know, can run in a much more memory-constrained environment. You know, run on those devices. So that's where the whole IoT thing started. Uh, with our current efforts around IoT, it's not that we've not specifically carved down and said like, hey, it has to be really memory-constrained. But it's one of the things we ought to be looking at. You know, uh, which would probably be coming after the cr whole cross-platform thing because I think the first thing we need to nail is like going to more platforms beyond Windows. And once that happens, we will actually start looking at, hey, now how do we start constraining the size uh, of memory that is needed to effectively run JavaScript uh, on the tiniest of devices possible? You know, it's just one step at a time. Yeah, I think uh, we'd love to hear what people want yeah. to do with it, uh, what what scenarios they want to take it to, and then, um, you know, help see if that uh, is applicable, uh, if Chakra Core is applicable there, or if we could, you know, Maybe make it so. Right. So just to, to verify my assumption then, the, the reason that you would take out the uh, JIT compiler um, is just so that it, it saves on memory because the JIT compiler like takes a lot of memory um, and on these memory constrained devices that's a problem. And so yeah. am I right in assuming that uh, that makes the trade-off of performance um, for size of memory? Is that kind of the trade-off you're making there? That's right, and so the, the Chakra interpreter has been, we started with an interpreter back in, in late 2008, 2009, 
when we started um, because we thought it would be the best way to make fast page loads. And, and that's been proven out. Like it, it's proven that most of the code on most page loads runs in the interpreter um, because that's the fastest path to getting the page fully loaded. Um, and so we've had you know, about six years of experience making that interpreter small and fast. And so we think that that will be a good thing uh, to benefit IoT environments because we've had that amount of time to tune the thing. Sweet. Um, cool. So I also was kind of curious, you, you talked about this a little bit, um, but I I know that uh, there's a pull request out on Node right now to make Node work with Chakra, and I wonder if you have any updates on the status of that, or like what what does that mean for the Node community? I think the only thing I would say there is uh, I think we we are starting the process of having a good conversation with the CDC members and the TSC members. I think there has been a lot of uh, I mean. It, it's been a great discussion in certain ways because I think when I when when we see and we talk to the CDC members, there are some good questions that are being raised, and I think it's it's great for them to be giving so much thought to you know how to evolve Node. So it's going to be great for the community. I think we don't have anything concrete to say as of now as to okay, this is the next meeting, but we are really looking forward to working with them, and I think we are in the process of kind of setting up uh, a couple of meetings to make sure that you know we set up those communication bridges because i think initially what would be the key is setting up those communication bridges and making sure that uh, we all can work together to help them in whatever ways we can so, uh, on that uh, on that topic i was um, actually pretty curious about <clears throat> so I'm, I'm a big fan, as I said a, a few minutes ago, of the idea that we're going to get more chores here, but every decision like that does come with some particular or potential downsides. So right now we have four, five, six years worth of Node that's only been on one JavaScript engine, <clears throat> and with the exception of the community fork, the IOJS fork, um, it's been pretty reliable that you kind of knew if you wrote some code and you knew which node you were targeting, it was pretty reliable that it was going to, um, your code was going to work in a particular way. So you knew what features were there and what features were not, for example. So one of the, I think, uh, concerns that is going to have to get hashed out by the community is this question of what happens when there are two or three or more JavaScript engines in the node world, which sort of moots one of the big advantages that people have liked about Node, which is I get away from that whole like cross-browser thing. Well, now I'm sort of going back to that. I'm having to wonder if the person is running Node with Chakra versus Node with V8, is this particular feature present or not, or more nuanced, is this feature optimized or not, for example. So I'm curious your perspective on the, the trade-off that may happen here if we move in that direction now it's going to be much more complicated to figure out how to write reliably performant and operative code in Node. So I think I think it's important to know that the and doing an analogy between the browser situation and the JavaScript engine situation will be misleading. The browser situation is like far 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 worse in terms of the standards non-compliance we've had. Um, the, if you if you look at, for example, the test 262 site, or uh, if, if, if you look at the various matrices that are out there that compare features, uh, SpiderMonkey and uh, 
even even the things from Apple and everything JavaScript, oh, yeah. are are much more compatible with each other than browsers are by far. So you're not looking at anywhere near the compatibility issues. It would be more things like how many forward-looking features um, are present or, or, or not present. Like um, Chakra has certain things like proxies that are not implemented in V8 yet. Um, are they're coming or they're yes. now just coming out now? So, so it's it's more a question of how cutting edge do you want to be? Like, are you are you? Are, and so, what we imagine is that people will play with features um, that are in one script engine, but not yet in the other script engine. Um, but that they won't actually deploy until all the script engines are at a certain level, um, and you can just count on it because the the compatibility matrix issue with with JavaScript engines is much better than with browsers. I can certainly appreciate that. I, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. It's it's an or, at least an order of magnitude difference in uh, the variances that are observable between them. And, and the nice part about JavaScript engines is there's one clear standard. It's pretty obvious what you need to to make happen. And we're certainly long removed from the days when JavaScript, uh, you know, had had a lot of variances, so that's good. But um, I guess <clears throat> I would push back a little bit and say um, one of the advantages that has grown the Node ecosystem so fast is that it has promoted the idea that you can simply write a module distributed on NPM and not worry too much about it. And what we're seeing now is that there's more and more of um, this shift to saying, well, I guess we're just going to have to run everything through a tool chain. Uh, through a set of transpilers, transformations, because we can't really predict the environment. So let's boil it down to the lowest common denominator. So I guess where my concern is is that we're going to say at the expense of, uh, for the benefit of being able to have multiple choices, which is good, we're going to have the expense that writing code that can run in all of those different node environments is going to get a lot more complex very quickly. We're going to have to ship even a tiny little library that you ship on NPM. You're going to have to ship it with a set of instructions or bindings or whatever that says, well, this thing has to be run through Babel with these particular configurations so that it transpiles all the way back to some you know, subset of the, the JavaScript features. So the good news is that a lot of engines are approaching 100%. They're in the 90s right now. Uh, on ES6, but JavaScript's not slowing down. We got a whole slew of stuff that's coming in ES2016, and yep. relatively little of that has been implemented yet. So there's a, still a lot of variance, right. I think. So and then no, you you bring a great point, but you know the thing you you kind of also answered it yourself. Like even with a single engine, right? Like you know people think okay, ES6 is a big uh, you know, feature set that is landing, and there are these differences. But then, you know, JavaScript does not stop at ES6 or ES2015. You know, going ahead, it will be an evolution. Like we are in this phase where we will be, you know, ratifying the standard every year now. Going ahead, so there will be new features coming everywhere. You know, it's the concept of evergreen browser, evergreen JavaScript, and you know, it just keeps evolving. So even if you just have like. This is not a problem only with two engines. Like it's a problem that would exist even with a single engine because then you keep revving up, right, over a period of time. And you have to figure out, you know, a solution even if you just have one engine. Yes, it would be a little bit more constrained, but I think having two engines in this conversation is kind of, you know, in a way helping or 
helping folks form an opinion about long term what would they really want to do because you know you said it very well it's not slowing down any at any point in time and you know even if you are with a current engine like the you know even with v8 there was nan abstractions that were created right i mean people created that because from any vm's perspective you just cannot say okay i'm locked down to this thing right and then as things evolve uh, as developers we'll have to see what is the like or the community we'll have to work with the community to see like what is the best way to evolve that is should there be a shim layer but in such a way that you know one it provides you the least compact breaks you know when you kind of move things or take dependencies and two it should still remain performant for those scenarios because performance is also a key so i think we we look forward to working with uh, you know uh, folks from v8 folks from other javascript engine folks from the node committee and node foundation uh, you know to discuss some of these things and start ironing them out over the next uh, you know few months I'll I'll yield to my other panelists in just a moment, but just to follow up and say, I 100% agree with you that performance is a major issue because that's what everybody talks about with Node. Uh, the transpilation story in the browser, if there's things that are slowing down a little bit, yeah, not not so, so big of a deal. But if you take even a slight half a percent per performance off of code that's designed to run, you know, hundreds of millions of times, people get a little bit antsy. So I think there is a little bit of concern around that, and I'm glad to hear that smart people like yourselves are thinking closely about it, so that's good. Thank you. Give us a lot of credit. Yeah. Well, the, the <laughs> model we believe in, to, to be clear, is, is, is compilation down to JavaScript in advance, not at load time. Like it, the, the compilation at load time is convenient when you're developing in order to figure out what you're doing, but um, you know, we believe in the TypeScript model where you, you end up generating high-performance, uh, idiomatic native JavaScript code, and then running that over and over so that there isn't performance overhead in the, in the translation step. Yeah, with that point, I think the, the thing I might even be interested in getting other panelists to chime in on, uh, reacting to Kyle's original question, too, uh, and your response just there, that it seems a topic in the JavaScript ecosystem today is kind of are we, you know, growing the, I almost would call it like a middleware chain set, like tool set, like where like oh, there's the, the, the code that you write and then the thing that it runs on and then there's lots of stuff in between now. Um, or that seems to be the perception. And I just wanted to see if any other panelists wanted to, that's a topic, a popular topic to kind of hash out. Um, and that, you know, uh, thanks for coming on the show, but at some point does it, you know, does uh, your layer that you all are working on become a little less important to the people writing way up here? Well, I think that there are, there are different, a bunch of different concerns there, right? There's, there's developer productivity, right? And so I think what I, what I think you're talking about is the, the tool chain that one has to deal with in order to write um, JavaScript and or some you know some language that's going to compile to JavaScript, and then our execution engine, and that that gulf there is is a is a tool chain that um, I guess helps you get your work done. It's very opinionated, and many people have different perspectives on what they want to see in there. Um, and to some degree, yes, that's that that's a space of developer productivity. And then there's a, another space which I think we're concerned. Principally, in although developer productivity is not, you know, we're not um, ignoring this, but 
um, is runtime performance, right? Um, deployment time performance, and that's one of the things uh, you know that we focus on keenly, and that's um, you know that's still going to remain important to whatever the develop all the developer community ultimately is is that performance. So I wouldn't say that it's um, you know there's clearly a relation between uh, what you're writing up here and then you know where we sit in the stack. Um, and indeed, there are concerns about the editing pipeline too. But uh, you know, I think people are going to continue to be very focused on performance of that ultimate end thing, and that's that's what we're all about. Sam, was that, question. was that your question? Yeah, I, mean, uh, uh, I didn't answer your question. I was just wondering, like, are, were you asking, are 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 engines irrelevant at this point because we we're all going to have a much higher level view of what's going on? Or what, I mean, yes, it's a little bit of a chaos question, um, but just trying to get the other panelists to talk a little more too. But I know Brian had a had a point. Maybe his is will stick better. <laughs> No, I was just had a quick uh, question about: um, Do you have any thoughts on formalizing uh, which engine you know could uh, run with a code? So, you know, maybe a flag or some kind of um, you know npm uh, line for the module system. Um, perhaps uh, there's a way to actually tell it uh, that this code can work with your engine only. Have you thought any about that or? I wouldn't say we've gotten to those sorts of details. Um, at this point, really, it seems like it's mostly around <clears throat> the conversations are just around the node community, um, you know, deciding at all whether or not multiple VMs is, is good for them. Um, and then once we cross that bridge, and, and should they believe that it is indeed a good thing, uh, then we can start talking about how to actually go and um, execute on such a thing. And, uh, well, I guess the reason I bring it up is I, I've seen stuff in the Scala community where they actually, in the package manager, specify you know, you know which compiler version and things like that. And uh, I think it at least helps the community a little bit more, saying like, ah, oh, I'm using specific stuff, and uh, if anybody's going to partner with NPM or someone, <laughs> it's certainly that. a reasonable suggestion to think about. And being explicit about your dependencies is always a nice thing to do. So, makes some sense. Okay, I have another question for you, <clears throat> and I hope this doesn't seem at all like I'm picking on you, um, but since I have you here, um, watching the evolution of ES6 support grow in the various browsers, uh, including in Chakra, I have been frustrated that it doesn't seem that there has been um, much of an obvious plan as to when things are going to happen and why things are happening in certain orders. Um, and I know that from people, I actually know people on the Chakra team, so I know that uh, some of that or a lot of that is probably driven just by various internal priorities at the company. But I have one particular question that I'd like you to weigh in on. Do you feel like it could have been more effective, or maybe I should just say for the future, would it be more effective for the JavaScript engines to focus on implementing the features which are not transpilable or rather if they're transpiled they are in the slower versions of them would it be more effective to focus on those developments first rather than on the things that are already easily transpilable uh, for example proxies or other things like that that we've just not been able to use for a while because they didn't get um, 
any attention from the engines early on, and there was no way to transpile them. And there's, uh, you know, a great question. I, the, the, the thing I would say is there's actually a lot of things that go into figuring out, you know, uh, what should be implemented first versus what should come after that. Uh, the one thing that is going to definitely change going ahead, right, is, uh, you know, starting ES 2016, the one thing that, uh, you know, before even ratifying something in the spec, you need to have a, a couple of implementations available uh, for a given feature. So that's going to be a thing for developers because, you know, as features are getting ratified, you are seeing implementations, and once they are implementations available, you know, even other uh, JavaScript engines would make sure that, hey, we stay interoperable as much as we can because, you know, in the, in the end, like, the goal for all of us is to make sure that developers don't go through that pain and they get that most interoperable set. Now, coming to your second question, like, should we only target things that can be uh, made available natively and, you know, you cannot actually write a JavaScript shim over that? I would say that, you know, the, if, if we cannot make a generic statement like that because at times, you know, there might be cases where, hey, you can use the JavaScript sugar to create something, but it not might not be as performant. And, you know, looking at the patterns and ways in which people are using that, you really need to get that performance. And to get that performance, you need it to be natively implemented in the JavaScript engine. And that's why I kind of started saying, like, you know, it's not really a clear black and white here. There are, like, a bunch of other things that go into it. Uh, and, and one of the other last things I would add, like you said, that hey, there were questions about why certain features were being done uh, you know, a particular way or what was their ordering. I think the one thing that we have tried to change over the last year or so, year, year and a half, starting with Edge, is, you know, we've been publishing our roadmap, uh, you know, for what features are getting implemented and coming online at status.modern. Right now it's not IE, but, you know, we, we do have a platform uh, a priority and a roadmap that is published at uh, the Edge status site. And with Chakra Core going open source, we have actually taken it to the next step that, you know, all of our roadmap is now actually at our GitHub repo. So go hit, hit it out and check out our roadmap. And, you know, if, you're, if you have questions, et cetera, we'll be happy to answer, like, hey, why are we looking at specific things over others? Yeah, or, or people have feedback yeah. and say, hey, yeah. we have a good reason for why we want this to... To come first. I mean, that's... Because I think we, we thought... hear that stuff, you know? Totally. So it's a two-way communication. Yeah, so I agree. I think it's been fantastic. You had the, the user voice site where people could vote on stuff. There's one particular feature that has irked me for a while, as you could probably that. imagine, and it's proper tail calls. And the reason uh -huh. for that is that um, that is an optimization that's a gateway to certain types of programming that are not practical in JavaScript, but there's... Um, there's a, a, a logical cart before the horse thing. If you wait for people to clamor for it very loudly, um, they're not going to clamor for it if they can't actually do it. So it's one of those features that not being implemented, it's not really practically transpilable, and until it's present in an engine, nobody can actually unlock the benefits of it. We can talk about it theoretically or not. So I don't mean to get too much into the rabbit hole on that, but I, I think there are things uh, like that that have... The community has, has wondered why can't we get some of this stuff, but uh, overall I'm very thankful for the progress we've made. It's awesome to see this uh, this attention happening. So. so for a thing like that, for the tail calls, um, it, if you look at the TypeScript uh, open source project, which has been open source for a number of years now, you, you, you'll see that there's a whole bunch of issues on the issues list that are just discussions of priorities in the roadmap. And so we anticipate that the same thing will happen with Chakra, where 
you can right now go to the Chakra Core site and you can create an issue and you can you can start a discussion of whether we should accelerate proper tail calls versus other things. And and if it's anything like the TypeScript experience, there will be very good, high quality discussion of those sorts of things by the community. Um, and we've in TypeScript we've changed a lot of priorities based on these types of discussions because you know the community is is smarter than any one team can be, right? Like you, by interacting with a broad community of people using the thing, you totally. do you do get a lot of insights that you couldn't otherwise get. Totally. Great. I think I'm afraid we're going to have to uh, start wrapping things up. Um, so this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for coming on. We do have one question on Twitter. And if anybody's watching live and would like to ask more questions, just uh, tweet the hashtag JSRQuestion and your question will be heard. So Alex Booker um, is um, just an awesome person. Um, but he asks, what is the origin of the codename Chakra? <laughs> uh, it was uh, it, it wasn't the original code name of the of the project. The original code name of the project was Ez, which is a little town in France uh, that I I went to on my honeymoon and really liked. <laughs> but um, but we it, the what what happened was uh, Jim Alchin and Soma. Soma is the head of DevDiv, but he, he's until recently now he's a venture capitalist. And Jim Elton was the head of Windows, uh, but he has left for other pastors as well. They they made that code name up together uh, because they were like, we need a really great uh, code name uh, for this project to compete with things like Spider Monkey. <laughs> and so it was it was made up by like two uh, Microsoft execs executives jamming in a room together. Nice. I was hoping you were going to say it had something to do with Naruto. Um, if you don't get the reference, that's okay. <laughs> cool. Um, okay, so that's our, our Twitter question. So um, let's let's jump into our tips and picks, and um, we'll let our guests go last. Um, and again, if you don't have any, that's fine. You can you can skip. Uh, so Brian, why don't you go first? Um, so uh, I just have a few um, small links this this week. Um, so Redux Saga. Uh, it's been talked about the uh, last couple weeks, but I thought I'd give a link to that. Um, and it's kind of following the same Redux model, which is very interesting to uh, generate your instruction set and interpret it with a reducer later, which is kind of like building a compiler on your compiler, uh, which is kind of a free monad uh, approach to things. It's not exactly a free monad, but the same idea, and that's getting really popular. And, Haskell community, so I linked to uh, Free Monad library in JavaScript, and also um, just Brian McKenna talking about the fantasy land spec um, to get your head around monads in the first place. So that's it. Cool. Thanks, uh, Kyle. Uh, okay, a couple of uh, quick picks. Uh, this is timely, so. Uh, I'm thankful that Chakra has uh, so much great support for ES6 and has really led the way. And I'm also thankful that uh, today was announced that the um, V8 
release 49 came out, and they basically are catching up uh, to Shocker in terms of ES6 support. They're in the 90s now, too, so that's a huge deal. There's a ton of uh, ES6 features that land with that one release, uh, so hopefully that'll filter its way not only to browsers, but also Node as well, so um, ES6 is looking really good. Um, in a lot of those environments, so that's exciting. Uh, another one is a blog post um, <clears throat> that wasn't written today, it was written a while back, but um, I just discovered today, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's called Developer Fallacies, and I had quite a bit of a Twitter rant uh, earlier today, and this was uh, one of the topics that featured in that, uh, but Developer Fallacies by Hayden Works. Uh, I recommend every single listener go and read through that blog post. Uh, and lastly, this is going to sound strange since a lot of people know that I'm not a huge um, proponent of frameworks, but I'm actually going to recommend as my final pick, I saw a friend of mine sat down and taught me some Ember stuff, and he was using a thing called Mirage, uh, specifically Ember Cly Mirage, uh, which is a uh, tool for test mocking, and it's not just for test mocking, but also for actual development mocking. He was using it to mock out API responses while he was doing development. I thought it was very cool. I'm certain there are tons of other great ones out there, but I just wanted to give that one a shout out. So. Great. Lynn. Okay, I only have one pick this week because this has been kind of a busy week for me, but uh, I just finished up my Code Cartoon series on Relay, which means that I'm starting a new one. <laughs> I'm starting a new uh, set of Code Cartoons, which are going to be about components and about the virtual DOM. Um, and so I've, since I've started that research, there was one article that I came across that I thought was really good. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about the virtual DOM and React's diffing algorithm, um, Christopher Shadow actually wrote up a really good post that I, I hadn't seen before. It's, uh, it's been around for a while, but I hadn't seen it before, and I thought some of the listeners might not either. Cool. Looking forward to that new installment. <laughs> Pam, um, I mentioned uh, Pam at the beginning of the show because she showed up a little bit uh, later. So, hi, Pam. <laughs> yeah, I realize that it's probably going to be confusing to the audio people that I just kind of appeared. Um, but, yeah, hi. Uh, so, uh, in our theme, with, since we had our guest on Chakra today, I'm going to pick a JavaScript uh, compiler called Higgs. Uh, and uh, I especially like them uh, as a open source project because they're also very friendly to beginners. So in case you listen to the show and you feel like you understood like half of it in terms of talking about some low-level engine stuff, um, when that happened, I recommend checking out Higgs to see you know how a JavaScript compiler might work. Uh, and they are friendly to contributions, so check them out. Great. Thank you. Uh, I love friendly to new contributors uh, repositories. That's good stuff. Um, okay, so my first or my tip for today is get involved in open source. There are so many benefits in doing that. Um, and if you need help, I'll actually leave a link um, for my answer to the question: What should what project should I contribute to? So, um, and then my pick is How to Become a Better Hacker by Gleb Bamatov. And if you've watched my picks and my links, you'll know that um, I'm definitely a Gleb uh, fanboy. Uh, he is an amazing engineer with really, really great advice. And uh, this is a, a great blog post um, about just becoming better uh, as, a, as an engineer. So yeah, check that out. OK, so let's go to our guests. Why don't we start out with um, Ed? Do you have any tips or picks for us? 
Um, my tip is that uh, you should go check out TypeScript. Um, if you're interested in uh, developing large-scale JavaScript, TypeScript brings, um, brings types to the equation. Uh, and with that comes a lot of uh, uh, additional means to structure your program beyond uh, what's just available in plain old JavaScript. And it just compiles down to JavaScript. So um, it's uh, something we like. Um, and I do have a, uh, what is it, a pick? Yeah, I have a pick. Um, I listened to an awesome record last night um, by a woman named Julia Holter called Have You in My Wilderness. So that's what I recommend. Awesome. I'll have awesome. a link to that in the show notes. Um, why don't we go with uh, Gaurav next? Yeah, I think for me, uh, you know, I had covered the main tip that we all probably thought of uh, or like we were thinking of saying, so I'll say something different. I think in terms of the tip, I would say like, you know, we are definitely new to open source, but we would love to hear your feedback. Don't hesitate to get to us. We would love to engage with you. Uh, be it on Chakra, be it on TypeScript. I, I think on the TypeScript side, we've been doing it for a while. But get in touch. You know, we would love to get that community feedback and, you know, be responsive. We would love to set up those communication channels. Don't hesitate in reaching out. Uh, that would be my tip. Steve. Okay. Um, so my tip is... Uh, this thing called Electron, which used to be uh, called the Atom Shell, uh, which is which is a it's it's sort of an alternative to Node WebKit. So it's a way to take Node and to write some JavaScript and to get a GUI app out of it, um, the, using the HTML model for GUI, but on your desktop. And um, it's that's part of a broader tip, which is um, let's unite and and keep using the web programming model for as much as we can because it's our best chance to, to reduce the chaos uh, that, that I think Pam was referring to, right? Like if, you, if, if the more places where we can apply web programming, um, the better. Uh, so IoT is a great example that we talked about and desktop programming is another great example where uh, this thing, Electron, will let you build your, your GUI app basically as, as as a node thing that uses uh, web for the way you do your UI. Plus one. Plus Yay. one. We love the web. We love the web. <laughs> cool. cool. Um, um, all right, I think we're right, about, think ready, we're to about ready to wrap up. So, um, let's, uh, yeah, I'll just go with a couple closing announcements. So again, next week, um, we're going to be talking uh, with a couple awesome people about uh, JavaScript debugging. So. Tune in same time, same place next week. Um, if you have any suggestions for us on the show, we're totally open to it. We uh, Just go to suggest.javascriptair.com, and that will take you to a Google form. Um, the responses are coming in uh, quite a bit, so I apologize if we can't get to your show suggestion right away. Um, but really good suggestions so far, and we're happy to, to take more. Um, if you have feedback for this show or the show in general, please go to feedback.javascriptair.com and fill out that form, um, and we implement feedback. So appreciate any feedback that you have. Um, as always, follow us on Twitter, Google+, and Facebook to keep up with the latest uh, from JavaScript Air. And uh, with that, I think we can say so long. So thank you very much, guests, for coming on the show. Thanks, panelists, for showing up, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.